Welcome to the Gau Train Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gau Train and how it came to be South Africa's first ever rapid rail link. In studio today, Henry Denner, the Gau Train Management Agency's Information Security Officer, where his responsibilities include developing, implementing and managing the information security management system for the organization. Mr. Denner has over 20 years experience in the IT industry ranging from desktop support and network administration to IT management and information security management. He's passionate about IT security and is here to provide us with some insight into the space as it specifically relates to the car train. Henry, very good morning to you and welcome. Let's start with some background about yourself and, and how you came to be involved with the car train management agency. Morning, Dylan. I joined the the Khatrim Project Office in 2006. I was employed by one of the lead consultants to head up the IT function for the provincial support team uh, for a number of years. And then in 2011, the Khatrim Management Agency then employed me as the IT manager at the point at that time. And then eventually I grew into the role of information security officer where I am today. Let's just set the scene with regards to the topic of cyber security and just give us what your broad, broad definition of what it is? In, in my opinion, cybersecurity is understanding what threats you face as an individual, as an organization, uh, from the cyberspace, from people around you, and then identifying those threats and then putting measures and controls in place to actually protect those people and organization from these threats. Currently, how much of an understanding do you believe there is in corporate South Africa regarding the threat that cyber attacks hold? I think there's a good understanding, but in my view, it's a bit skewed. Um, people often um, say if you comply to information standards such as ISO 27000, that you actually have good security in place. And in my view, that's not actually true. So the understanding of, of the organization's art is that if we comply to the standards, we are fine. But it doesn't really protect you against the real cyber criminals. You have to understand how these criminals think and how they act in order for you to properly protect the organization. So I think there's a good understanding from the compliance side, but in terms of actual security, understanding and how the criminals and organized crimes and those kind of people work, I, I think there's a little bit of a lack. The, the only way to really build that up is if you can share knowledge and you get to speak to people who's actually gone through a breach like we have, because in going through a breach, you basically get an understanding of what the other side of the coin looks like. So then you understand what the real security really is about. And is there much knowledge sharing currently taking place in corporate South Africa regarding cybersecurity? Very minimal. Um, I've been trying actively to get in contact with people to try and establish some forums. And it's a, it's a challenge because the security fraternity, if I can put it that way, don't want to share because they think you are sharing your innermost secrets and you're going to expose your organization, which is actually not true because if you share things on a high level, you can still share ideas or share thoughts or share experiences without actually compromising your actual security that you have in the organization. So at the moment, very, very minimal security um, sharing is happening. Henry, when you started with the GMA, what, what exactly was in place in terms of cybersecurity? When I started at the project office, the project office was basically still new. So there was just computers and a basic email system. When I started at the GMA, I had to establish all the necessary frameworks and standards and procedures that's required by the, the, um, the relevant IT governance standards. So being a government organization, we have to comply to the DPSA's IT framework, which is based on COBIT and the ISO standards. 
So I basically had to draw up their policies, um, assist the CIO to come up with the frameworks and the governance standards and the procedures to actually implement those frameworks and the policies. How long did it take you to get to a point where you thought, well, you had the basis for a foundation? Uh, probably around, I would say, six to 12 months, um, so roughly a year. Um, unfortunately, these kind of things take time. Um, being a new organization, relatively new at, the stage, at that stage, um, it's, it's a lot of change management that you have to go through. You have to educate the, the staff on why are we doing policies, why do we have to have frameworks, why do we have to adhere to governance. So it's, it's quite a bit of a challenging um, exercise because you have to really work on the people to make them understand why you need all these rules. We are still with uh, Henry Denner exploring the issue of cybersecurity, specifically as it relates to the Gautrain Management Agency. Henry, let's uh, move on now to some practical examples and the specific example we're going to look at today. Can you take us through what happened during the attempted cyber attack at the GMA in 2014? We employed a temporary technician in 2013. Um, We had to do some projects and we needed additional hands. So we employed a guy by the name of Obaking Sang, and he was employed as a junior desktop technician. This, this, this young man unfortunately got recruited by an organized crime syndicate, and together they tried to steal 800 million rand off the GMA. What he basically did was is he, he loaded things like keyloggers and remote access tools on users' computers, trying to intercept their internet banking usernames and passwords. They would need those usernames and passwords to actually get access to the banking accounts of the company, where they would then transfer the money out of the company to some overseas accounts. Um, Fortunately for us, at the time, we had enough controls on our system to prevent them from accessing our system remotely. So this guy had to then take a company-issued memory stick, and he had to go from computer to computer to actually load this software, and then a week or two later, he would have to go back and then download the logs from that software which would then give him access to the username and passwords of the relevant people who had access to our banking site at the time. Just to back up a little bit and tell me what exactly, what security measures were in place before that attack and, and what, why he was forced to, to undergo that process in, in order to attempt to, to steal the money. If you look at the, at the ISO standards, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, practices in terms of how you set up network security. So at the time, we had a lot of those practices in place. If I can just maybe name a few on a high level, things like network segmentation, um, having only the necessary um, access privileges through a firewall, both internally and externally. Um, those, those, I think, were the, were the main things. Basically, what, what that caused, the ripple effect was that the, the hackers on the outside couldn't actually get to the inside of the network. And... This, this guy who was the insider, he was part of my team, he couldn't send the same information outside. So the firewall and the network was set up in such a way that it didn't allow the hackers to communicate freely. So this guy was then forced to actually go to user on the user and use the memory stick to load the software and to get the information. And what procedures were in place to ensure that you, you caught him? So that's, that's quite an interesting question. Um, so none of the technology solutions we had in place actually caught him. What caught him at the end of the day was human intuition. 
Um, it was not a system that told us there's something happening. When we did the investigation, we found that they were actually busy on our system for about eight months. Uh, we found traces back to March of 2014, and we, we stopped the incident on the 23rd of October. So that's roughly eight months that these guys were busy on, on our system. And because they had time, they had actually managed to, to do a little bit and then pull back. So it never really raised enough flags or enough alerts for us to say there's something bad happening. And think about this. This, this guy's main purpose was to actually do desktop support. So he was doing these bad things while he was supposed to be doing user support. So there was no reason for me to suspect that he's actually doing bad things um, until obviously when we discovered there is actually something bad happening. So technology failed us. Um, none of the systems we had in place actually flagged to say there's something bad happening. It was purely humans human intuition and humans coming to us and saying, listen, this, what is this guy doing on our computers? He's people coming back to our computers, which raised the flag um, and which eventually uh, caused me to say, well, maybe this guy must just get out of here because he's no good. Well, let's, let's delve a little bit deeper into to what the, the full impact of this, this cyber breach was in terms of the GMA. So the impact is quite severe. If you... If, if I can say one high-level thing is that a breach changes you completely. It changes you as a person. It changes the people around you. It changes the organization. Uh, the, the biggest impact probably for me was the, the relationship and uh, the emotional aspect. Uh, we didn't really lose money, so they weren't successful in taking our money. But we did have to spend some money in order to do the investigations and to appoint lawyers who were attending the court cases for us up to now. The, the big challenge comes in from a, from a relationship perspective. Um, people are starting to mistrust. They will question your judgment. They will question, do you actually know what you're doing? Um, from an emotional aspect, people will basically throw you out to the dogs. They will say, well, you can protect us now, so what use are you to the organization? Um, I had uh, unfortunate um, experiences of people basically stopping to talk to me. Um, they stopped to talk to the CIO. Uh, they were basically blaming us. Stories were going around that we were in cahoots with this man. Uh, then stories went around saying that we actually fabricated evidence against him. So it, it really it really breaks you down as a person and you then actually start to question yourself, well, am I good enough? And it's embarrassing if you think about that, that you thought you had all this stuff in place and then this major thing happens. Um, so emotionally, quite draining. Uh, also, the board lose, loses faith in you. We were subjected to quite heavy um, audits. We were audited for in-depth for about a month. We came out of that clean. There was two housekeeping findings. So all in all, we didn't not do our work. We were doing our work, but criminals will always find a way. And that's something that, that you have to realize. And it's something that stuck with me for a while because I had to also tell myself, you know what, you didn't do something wrong. Um, this guy was bad. He did something wrong. He's the criminal. I'm not the criminal. In terms of money, we, we up to now, we spent about $11.5 million. Um, of that money, it's predominantly lawyer's fees, production loss. Our users couldn't work for about two days. So that's where the production loss comes in. And then the bulk of that money was on upgrading our security infrastructure that we have to make sure that that kind of incident doesn't happen again. With all of that in mind, what do you think the major learnings from the incident were? 
the major learnings is that we put too much trust in technology. Um, I'm a big advocate now on building human firewalls. Um, human firewalls is about teaching humans and giving them the ability and empowering them to actually identify threats that, that they face around them. From a te- technology perspective, technology can only monitor and check what other technology systems are doing. Technology cannot look and detect what humans are doing. If you look at statistics in the in the security space, around 80% of breaches are aided by, by people, either knowingly or unknowingly. And that is the big challenge that we have. So you don't have a technology platform that you can actually plug into a human and say, please tell me what this human is doing. You can only monitor humans with humans, at this stage at least. Um, artificial intelligence is getting better. It beca- it's becoming more of a, an early warning, but it's still new. The challenge with artificial intelligence is that there's still a human behind that AI that has to teach the AI what is right and what is wrong. So in all in all, behind every piece of technology, there's a human that has to intervene with that, with that technology. So if the human doesn't know better um, or is not equipped with the right knowledge, it still becomes a problem. So for me, the biggest learning was technology is there. You can't protect without technology, but there's a big human factor that we have to think about. So we have to build our users, our communities, our country to, to not just think about cybersecurity as something that IT does in the dark, dingy corner. It's something that you as an organization, you as an individual have to live by on a day-to-day basis. You have to know the threats that you face. You have to know the threats that you're your loved ones, your colleagues, organization face. And only if you understand and you practice and you, you really live those principles, then only will we will be much better protected than what we are now. So education is key in terms of your staff? Ab- absolutely. And we have quite a rigorous awareness program. Um, we've seen a lot of growth from the staff. We've been busy with the program now for about four odd years. And if you track the progress from when we started to where we are now, um, it's it's chalk and cheese. I would probably say that I'm I'm quite happy and quite comfortable with my users are, but it, that doesn't mean that we can't stop. So we continuously educate, we continuously subject them to to social engineering exercises and those kind of assessments to create awareness and to show them the real practicalities around. If you are breached, um, a small thing can lead to a big change. I always cite. Um, the, the, the clause from the from the chaos theory, the butterfly effect that says something small on the side of the world can, can end up in a big event on the other side of the world. And it's so true for cybersecurity. If you do something something small, like, for example, click on a phishing link, it can eventually lead to your whole organization being bridged. So continuous education, creating that awareness, and, and actually teaching your users through repetition the human mind learns through the repetition. So if you only do these things once a year, people are not going to learn. So you continuously have to educate, have to train them in the new threats, in things that are still out there and what they need to look out for. And that's, that's really my, my, big, my big drive at the moment, to create this human firewall. Now, now Henry, you touched on some of the physical measures uh, a short while ago. What else has been implemented to, to avoid a repeat of this uh, cyber attack incident? So firstly, I must say that we can never implement stuff that will prevent it from happening again. It can and it probably will happen again. Um, If any security professional has to view that they've done enough to prevent, um, they'd be wrong. 
So we can only do so much to reduce the risk and the likelihood of this happening. So what we did was we beefed up our monitoring quite considerably. We have a dedicated security operations center now that monitors our systems on a 24-7 basis. We're spending a lot of money on social engineering exercises, penetration testing, testing our systems with real-world scenarios. Um, I don't believe in, in checkbox ticking. Um, I like to consider myself as a, as a rule follower, but a rule bender. I like to push the boundaries, and I like to keep things real. So when we do tests and assessments, I want to keep it real. I want to create a real plausible scenario, not just something, a tick box that says, okay, I've done it now, the auditors are happy. We have to test things in real life. So that means we unfortunately have to think like attackers and we have to be deceitful at times. But at the end of the day, it creates a better protection mechanism for the organization. Uh, then from a human perspective, I've mentioned we do quite ridiculous awareness programs. We do a lot of phishing exercises. We do a lot of social engineering. And the social engineering starts from trying to break into the building, um, going through people's trash, um, trying to fake invoices so that we can see if we can get those invoices paid. So we try to keep it real. At the end of the day, we're only as good and protected as what we think we can anticipate the attackers would do. So we think about scenarios with our hackers that we have, and we ask them, what do you think will be a, a nice and easy way to get access to money, for example, or to get access to information. We then build a scenario and then we test that scenario. The company doesn't know, the users doesn't know, IT doesn't know. Only myself and the CIO really knows about these assessments. And that's how we keep it real, because people don't know that we're busy with a, with a simulation, so they would act like they normally act. If people know that you are simulating or testing, they would think, oh, okay, what am I supposed to do? And that, if they think that, then you fail. It must become second nature. So the more we do these things, um, the more we educate the people, we actually bring them into a room, we show them the results, where they've gone wrong. Um, we don't name and shame, we praise. So if somebody's done good, we'd rather say, these are the five or 10 or 20 people mm. that did real good. We don't like to name and shame. So monitoring, user awareness, those are the real big things that we've, that we've done. Now, Henry, beyond all that you've detailed, what advice would you have for organizations looking to pre prepare themselves better for cyber attacks such as these? Organizations need to understand that security is not an IT thing. Um, a lot of organizations that I engage with at conferences and at forums and seminars, those kind of things, they still believe that security is an IT thing, and it's not. Your users are your biggest problem. If you go back to the stats, 80% of users of, of threats, sorry, are realized through users. So you can't expect IT to monitor users. You have to equip your users to, to understand and to actually be able to identify these threats. So organizations need to understand what are their real, their real crown jewels, what are the things that they're really protecting. Are they just complying? Uh, complying to standards such as ISO or NIST doesn't mean you're not going to get hacked, you're not going to get breached. So you have to understand what are you really protecting? Then you have to look at what is the easiest way or what are the probable ways that an attacker can actually um, do to get to those crown jewels. Can they bribe somebody? Can they extort somebody? Can they load malware on machines? Uh, can they try to breach your machine? Um, can they come in via remote connections? So you have to sit down and really think about the ways that an att attacker can come into your system. 
So you have to try to exploit those ways. So you have to test what are, if this is the mechanism, does it work, does it not work? And if it works, then you only put controls in place to actually protect that specific um, mechanism or tactic that the attackers would use. So you have to keep it practical. Um, we've had to learn the hard way that we, you can't just follow a framework blindly. Hackers don't follow rules. So we as organizations have to follow rules, but it doesn't mean that we can add onto those rules. It doesn't mean that we can make those rules fit to what we want to protect the organization. Um, so it's the difference between compliance in terms of security and actually protecting and understanding what the real criminals are doing out there and in protecting what those real criminals are doing. But you obviously have to com- comply, otherwise your auditors will be on your case. Henry, thank you for your time and input. We value your insight and learnings from the Gautrain project. You've been listening to Henry Denner, the Gautrain Management Agency's Information Security Officer. He's been exploring the field of cybersecurity and how it relates to the Gautrain project, specifically with reference to the learnings gained from the 2014 cyber attack on the GMA. As an update to that story, Obeking Busang, the IT technician in question, has since been sentenced to an effective 10 years in prison for the unlawful installation of spyware on GMA laptops and desktop computers. Busang found guilty on 38 counts of contravening a section of the Electronic Communications and Transactions Act of 2002. To listen to this and other interviews about the Gautrain, please tune in to our podcasts at Gautrain Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website. That's www.gautrain.co.za or follow us on Twitter. 